Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter, uh, recording here on Thursday, August 31st from New York City, where uh, somehow I see that Elaine Lowe has been let into town. Elaine, is this true? Uh, did you use a tennis passport to get across the border to the five boroughs? What's going on? They finally let me back in, Sean. I'm, <laughs> I'm proud to say. <laughs> did, did, did you drop my name at the border? It usually helps people, so... <laughs> If you want to come to Queens, at least definitely, you know, keep just keep it in your pocket. That's all I'm saying. You may, you may need it. <laughs> uh, and of course, Richard Rushfield from uh, Los Angeles. Richard, I'm sorry you did not get the CNN job. I know you had your heart set <laughs> on it. Uh, Zaz told me you were a lock. You know, I don't know what happened, but, you know, maybe you can get a show on the uh, CNN Max streaming service or something. Maybe there's a show for you. I don't know. I mean, I told them that I, I was really going up to be the afternoon uh, CNN president. I told him I don't really work mornings. Um, <laughs> and Zaz was fine with that HR for some reason. Just uh, didn't go well, go over well. Yeah. But they, uh, I don't know why they, why, why, why they think a CNN president needs to put, put in a full day at this point in history, but uh, apparently they did. Yeah, well, maybe uh, MSNBC will have you, Richard. Uh, who knows? Uh, Elaine, you are here in New York. Um, so, you know, Richard, give Richard and I your. What I'm sure will be controversy causing East Coast versus West Coast strike line analysis here. Yeah. What's, uh, what's been your week so far? So got in Tuesday night. There are only two pickets left for me to go to Wednesday and today because Friday, uh, no pickets on Friday this week for Labor Day weekend. So on Wednesday, I slather on sunscreen as I usually do, step outside and then quickly remembered, oh, hey, I'm in new york and it is raining outside i'm not in la <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say not that hot it's actually very nice here lane so i don't know what to, uh, i mean you know keep your sunblock on in general but not not needed you're a little different different temperatures here there was a very dedicated group of like nine people picketing outside of paramount times square and then a larger group outside of 30 rock and uh and then today got a chance to go down to netflix which both in la and in new york appears to be the most popular picket both from my visits and from what other folks have told me. So Netflix still still the popular one to uh, protest outside of. Interesting. Any different kind of different vibes on the lines? Or I guess, I mean, size-wise, probably a little bit different, but uh, anything else yeah, of note that yeah. caught your eye? Um, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I find I figure, find that in New York, I always run into somebody I know, and I ran into at least two different, um, you know, writers who I know are LA-based and just happen across them in the picket lines in New York. Uh, and, you know, I was talking to folks about now that we're approaching Labor Day, mm -hmm. about the psychological turning point that we're at, uh, you know, because the conventional wisdom was, oh, maybe this thing will get done by Labor Day. And as we all know, it's not going to happen. And really? and I, I just I somebody was saying today, like, I think the mood might shift after Labor Day if, uh, you know, if we're still out there and, and there's not a lot of progress. Richard, you'll be uh, sampling the shrimp cocktail in Toronto next week. Is that uh, still on the books? That's right. Uh, I'll be seeing what a festival looks like in a time of uh, no Hollywood. So right. uh, the, the, the the show will go on and we'll see how gala-y it turns out to be. There's a lot of, a lot of films there that have been granted ex exemptions and are doing things and a lot of things that a lot of films that will be shown without uh without their their talent involved so yeah that would be interesting yeah different and you're, you've how many years have you gone now richard you've been going i think for a while this is now, actually right? only my second in toronto oh really oh okay never done toronto until last year interesting okay well you have one comp at least for uh before <laughs> and after so 
Uh, and a few actors, uh, I think Sean Penn's going, uh, Maya Hawks going, a few, a few actors, uh, committed or whatever reported that they're good. They will confirm that they will be there. So there will be some, yeah, I think I, I said, there's a bunch of actors who have directed films. So we'll be right. there as directors rather than actors or as writers. So, yeah. Um, it, uh, it all gets a little funny. Yeah. Well, this would be your big year to get on the red carpet, Richard. I think if there's one year where you can get on the carpet, take some photos, you know, there may be a, a little bit of a, a window for you to. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just get out there and uh, get get my uh, my my finery on and yeah. uh, and uh, answer questions about uh, what's my favorite kind of pet and uh, and uh, why I got why why I was interested in this film. Exactly. What what are you wearing, of course? But yeah, uh, yeah. and what are you? Anything you're excited to see? You have any uh, kind of screening set up yet, or not yet? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm starting to make it that. Uh, so they everybody uh, in the press, you're given a time when the uh, press site goes on, and you you can uh, reserve your tickets, and you're supposed to okay. have your top ten your your top ten scheduled beforehand, and then. It's staggered. So, so my time is at midnight on, on Monday. Uh, so at midnight, you go onto the site, you hope the site last, last year, the site crashed and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't make any reservations. So you, you hope it can go through and then you, you, you list your, your top 10. And I think you just get spat back. Uh, uh, you didn't get any of those, but, uh, but here's a little documentary we think you might like. Um, and of course, people can find you or say hello up there, Richard. Of course, yeah. Please, if you're if you're up there, if you see me, uh, if you want to see me, I'd love to love to chat with uh, with Ankler readers or listeners anytime. And it's always exciting to meet you. So say hello if you see me, or I'll, I'll be walking around wearing an Ankler hat. I may have some extras on me. Uh, <laughs> so so please do say hi or uh, Richard at the Anklers and drop me a note. All right, there you go. And Richard, uh, you know, you took a, just to wrap out the strike conversation a little bit here, a, a different point of view is looking at um, what I guess, I don't know, what, what would we describe this, the madness that may ensue whenever the strikes do, you know, come to a to an end here. What uh, what awaits us on the other side of it with, the, uh, you know, it's going to be quite a turn on a dime to a degree, right, Richard? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. In, in the COVID uh shut down there was there was all this talk about what a train wreck it was going to be when things went on and everyone's going to be fighting for uh for for the production space and the time of the talent and all, all this and that didn't there was a bit of that but it didn't the complete train wreck didn't come to pass because the the opening was sort of it, it wasn't it wasn't one starting gun where everybody went off right people sort of stumbled back a little bit uh this will be one starting gun when everyone goes and you have months of uh you have you have you've we'll see how many months when it finally comes to an end but months of productions that were uh on ice and so if you're a star and you say you've missed uh three productions since then which one of those are you going to do first which uh right. are, is your co-star available to do that one that one at the same time would help yep. if they're represented by the same agency <laughs> uh, uh to, to sort that out and who's going to get the priority and say you know, November fifteenth, it all starts again, and you had a soundstage reserved on November fifteenth, uh, as it happens. Do you still get your time, or, or uh, is is something more important uh, going to take take your place? Uh, yeah. Anytime? So it's it's a lot of it's gonna it's it's really gonna be a crazy uh, train wreck and power plays, and uh, and no one can give me a clear answer of how this will be uh, 
uh, sorted out. I, I, in my mind, uh, Ari and Brian and Patrick and Jeremy will sit down in uh, you know, <laughs> sort of papal conclave, and uh, and and they'll they'll wave out the window. Uh, Aquaman three starts it starts on January fourteenth, and 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 we'll all we we'll all know that, but uh, we'll see how it gets gets sorted out. The other thing that that happens is uh, beyond the they they can of course make deals uh, once right. they're going to go off, but they they weren't supposed to have been planning for those deals, or <laughs> right? Doing yeah. Things like attaching talent or or even writing scripts um, while this all happens. So when five minutes after the starting gun goes off, if all of a sudden a bunch of deals happen emerge fully formed with talent uh is anyone going to care to 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 call them on it uh is are they are they going to have problems and and what will happen there is another question yeah yeah we even saw a little a little bit this week something that caught my eye uh, a, a deadline piece uh, a whopping bidding war between uh netflix and amazon i guess Apple's busy dealing with the the collapse of the China economy, but uh, a battle for a one hundred million dollar movie with Chris Chris Hemsworth and Pedro Pascal attached that uh, they described as uh, the talent having shown interest in the project prior to the strike, Richard. So they weren't uh, you know interested in the past few weeks, but they were you know back in early July. So just just for the record on that, yeah, they just they just they they just left uh, some interest uh, floating in the ether for a few months that yeah now yeah. has now has materialized and. Uh, and yeah. their agents, uh, their agents haven't discussed these pro- projects that are being right. made with them in mind uh, at all. I'm sure. Right, right. So we'll see how the bidding war goes. But uh, you also did conclude with uh, five rays of hope. Is is the summer heat out there having an effect on you, Richard? I was a little. I mean, you know, it's it's so dreary, and it's it's like it's it's so bleak, and the state of the industry is so bleak, and the lack of leadership is so just depressing everything that I, I I sort of felt like it can't it can't get worse than this so maybe maybe this is a turning point um, and there, I pointed to one thing that um, that, uh, that that I, I thought might shift things around that if so we and we we've lived in this time where all this talent just attaches themselves to just takes on any streaming project because they get a paycheck out of it and there's no downside because no one knows the the results of it so it it if you're ryan reynolds uh say and you're star of giant blockbuster movies uh yeah you made some streaming things and how did they do well no one knows um but if the if the, if data starts coming out if as a result of the strike there's some former data coming out and it it feels like whether they come come out as a result of this the strike that that the streamers have sort of accepted they're moving more that way. Netflix yeah. said that they that they already do give their creators some. And I I I think there's an acceptance that we're gonna go to that point at some but when that happens, if you're a star, you actually have to be concerned about I if I do five films and and it turns out that only three people combined watch them, that could actually have an effect on my overall price. And yep. those paychecks might have been good, but I might have just revealed that I only have three plant fans on the planet. <laughs> um, so the result of that is they'll have to start doing films they believe in and and projects that they think actually uh, 
people would uh, be interested in. Um, and that's not a bad uh, piece of fallout from all this. Yeah, a little, little more skin in the game, as we, uh, you know, used to call it, I guess. So uh, I think that I think you're 100% right on that, Richard. I will add, you know, the kind of the growth of ad tiers and things like that, which is also going to be a big part of the streaming business going forward, which hasn't been heretofore, will also play into this, Richard, where the data will just, you know, it should be a bigger part of what the the streaming economy is. We'll rely more on knowing these numbers and it's getting back to again, the tenets of what this business was built on for many years that just, you know, veered off path for five to seven years here. So uh, anyway, good read over there, Richard. We uh, can check that out over at theangler.com. Um, I know you have a thing to jump to, Richard, so we will uh, say farewell here for this week. We will be checking in next week. We're doing summer movies, so we're going to your, your moment in the sun will come to see what your uh, your your Rostradamus predictions from uh, for summer movie season 2023 have come to roost. You know, I, I feel this flu coming on. I, I, <laughs> You're breaking sure up, I'm, Richard. You're breaking up, sure Richard. Be you Wi-Fi. Is that, yeah. Just Early. No, you get sick when you come back from Toronto, Richard. Not before you go. That's a nice try, though. Uh, but, uh, uh, somehow, uh, I have this condition when I start talking about my predict- how my predictions turned out. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just need to lie down for a bit. All right. I know where to find you, Richard. We'll talk about that <laughs> next week. So anyway, have a good weekend, Richard. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, so Elaine, we have a, another special guest this week. We had a great column, guest column this week from uh, a former TV writer, Patty Lynn, who was uh, wrote for such series as uh, Freaks and Geeks, Friends, Desperate Housewives, Breaking Bad, and then said, uh, "Yeah, I'm good." Uh, cashed in her punch card and got her free sub, and uh, there you go. Left left her the TV writing business. So uh, let's w- welcome Patty. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, Patty has a new book out this week, right, Patty? It's out and people can mm-hmm. get it right now. Okay, it's it's uh, available right now. <laughs> where, wherever you like to buy your books, it's called yep. uh, "End Credits: How I Broke Up with Hollywood," which chronicles her adventures in television uh, at the the turn of the millennium. Patty, we could probably that sounds like mm-hmm. a very uh, book world thing to say. I think, uh, <laughs> and through the through the early early into mid two thousands there. Um, and you can check out Patty's uh, guest column this week over at the Ankler, which involves very inter- highly entertaining what it was like to write a pilot for CBS. Uh, and was it mid two thousands? I guess with two thousand six. Uh, two thousand six. Two thousand six, which involves a a private jet to uh, Sammy Sosa's birthday party <laughs> with uh, Salma <laughs> Hayek and Ben Silverman. Patty, why don't you set up for who was Ben? Who is Ben Silverman, and who was he in in two thousand six? Certainly. I don't know what he's doing now, honestly. Um, but in 2006, he he had a, a production company called Reveille, and and they had produced um, the the American version of The Office, right? Um, Ugly Betty, um, right. and so and and a bunch of other things. But those were but, those were the big hits that sort of put them on the map. Yeah, two and, of the hottest shows of the early 2000s yeah, in television. Yeah, right. And he and Ben was, you know. Uh, he was just this sort of wunderkind, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, hot shot young producer who just seemed like he had the whole town in his hand, you know, yeah. um, very char- charismatic, very funny. Uh, and, you know, and then he went on after that, he went on to become the uh president of N- uh, NBC Entertainment, I think. Yep. Is, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Never a big bite. Yeah. The head of NBC. Yep. And that he was doing that during the 2007, 2008 strike. So, right. and so he became, at that point, he was, he was a suit, 
You know, he had be, he had started out as kind of the, you know, shepherding all this talent and you know the creative talent, and then he became then he went to the side of the suits. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you had uh, the pleasure of developing a show with him, which you uh, described in detail in the column. So I, I recommend go checking that out over at the Angler, and it's a, a, um, an excerpt from your book as well, of course, naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me just rewind it a little bit uh, here. Mm-hmm. So wh- where are you from, and kind of how did you actually get your first paid writing? What was your first paid writing gig in, in television? Uh, well, I'm from uh, the Midwest. My parents were Taiwanese immigrants and, um, you know, they settled in the Midwest and they both worked full time. So I was a latchkey kid and my babysitter was the television. And I just watched hours and hours of TV every day. Um, so I grew up kind of steeped in pop culture and loved that. And then also, you know, learned to love writing at a very early age. And those interests kind of converged eventually. Um but, you know, the first kind of, I, I didn't know anybody could even do a job in show business, you know, because I was so removed from that. Um, and it wasn't until I uh, was in New York and I was trying to get tickets to the David Letterman show and um, and started chatting with the NBC page that I was asking for tickets, who I ended up dating for 10 years. That's another story. It's in <laughs> it's that, in the book. It's it in, in the book. book. OK, all right. But it is in the book. book. Yeah. Uh, but, th- but he was the first person that I met who worked in show business and he was just a regular guy from Queens. Right. And I thought, oh, wow, the people can really do this job. And so I got an internship at Letterman. I ended up working there for four years and, um, you know, and then I, I moved to LA after I had written a bunch of spec scripts and got an agent and, you know, thought, okay, the, I, my agent said, if you're serious about writing for TV, you, you have to move to LA. Gotcha. Um, you, were so, writing, you were writing on Letterman or you were just or working? No, uh, no, no. I was working, working I was, on the show. Okay. I was working in the accounting department. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. You're like, I think I want to write for a living. Yeah. 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 I never, even though I loved that that show and I loved comedy, I never wanted to write jokes. You know, like I wasn't mm. a comedy. I didn't think of myself as a comedy writer. So it, it didn't make sense to sort of like try to write jokes for Dave because that's not what I wanted to do, I wanted to write for one hour dramas, like 30 something. Oh. And so I started writing spec scripts that were dramas and, you know, and barely any of those were being produced in New York. So right, right. I, so I went to LA to start, you know, pounding the pavement and I worked as an assistant to a director for about a year uh, before I landed my first writing job. Which was on, was this, which the, was, which it, was on this martial law, martial law. All right. So we have to, this, which was for those who don't remember, this is the late nineties. This is, I think 98 was on the air. Uh, and I our city love on- that show. Ah. <laughs> All right, Elaine. So why don't you describe the show? And I'm, I maybe it's just, maybe- it's Sam O'Hung being mm-hmm. a hilarious badass. That's what I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sam O'Hung, the largest, most rotund, uh, martial artist probably, you know, ever to hit American television screens. Right. What, what spec did you write to get What, what spec would got you a job in this, got in the show? <laughs> my, my specs were, uh, my so-called life. Oh, good one. Um, party of five oh. and Buffy, the vampire slayer and nice. the X and the X-Files. Right. Okay. That was like the, the X-Files was the only spec that I had that was kind of procedural. That's one comp. Yeah. The other three I wouldn't yeah. say are screaming Arsenio Hall no. and Samo. <laughs> 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 Buddy cop show. Looking back on it now, what stands out of walking in your first writer's room and kind of that 
that first month on that gig? Was this everything you hoped TV writing would be or uh, what's up in the 1998 it, television here? It, it, it was a rude awakening. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I walked in, you know, my first day, you know, I was 26 years old. I had never been, you know, in a writer's room. And I, I you know, I, I thought that there was going to be some sort of like, uh, you know, welcome wagon or something, you know, like a, yeah. or at least like a meeting where they'd say like, here's our new hire. And <laughs> nobody was even there to greet me. Like I, I walked in and the, the, all the, all the offices were empty and, Nobody told me anything. And I was just kind of sitting there for hours with not knowing what I was supposed to be doing. Right. And that that experience pretty much encapsulates every single experience I ever had as a TV <laughs> writer, you know, just getting thrown into a situation with absolutely no instruction, no training, uh, just no no idea of what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, so that was that was really tough. And uh, and then on my very first day, you know, I had to get I was told to give notes on a script that another writer had written, somebody who had had like over 20 years of experience. Wow. And I, this was my very first day. And I had to give this guy notes. And I, I didn't even I'd never been in a note session before. Right. So, I, I mean, it was just completely brand new. And, um, you know, the the script wasn't great. And I tried to be honest about that. And uh, he was not happy. Gotcha. Um, but um, yeah, the, it was a very uh, rough initiation. Let's put it that way. Anything you can reveal from the from the behind the scenes of uh, of uh, martial law here? Uh, Are you good we, Arsenio stories? What do you got? The, the writers had no contact with the cast. <laughs> you never met him? <laughs> I honestly don't don't think we ever met them. Wow. Oh um, we were so we were so. Um, separate from yeah. from production um we were just you know in our writing mind all the time and just and never left but your next job uh i i may i think might be positive for you we're in freaks and geeks yeah. with, uh, with paul and judd so great experience yeah total 180 that re that restored some hope i would imagine in your in your writing mm -hmm. path. yeah absolutely yeah i mean it was uh first of all it, it was a show that i felt fit my sensibilities and my sense of humor really well. Um, I just, I just fell in love with it. You know, like when I, I read the script, I thought it was really interesting. And then I saw the uh, unfinished pilot when I went in for a meeting and my jaw was on the floor. I, I, I was like, Oh my God, like this show is so great. It was so funny. It was sweet. It was unusual. I mean, it was just like, all and all the all the elements of it the casting the the directing the music the uh, just uh production design all of it was so inspired that i just was like i want to be a part of this that i i'd never felt that way before about a project like i just can't i can't i want to be a part of this so badly and then it turned out to be an amazing writers room where um Judd were, Apatow. You, were, were you welcome? Mm -hmm. Were you welcome to the into this room? Was there was there absolutely? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, from the very People beginning, were there, like, oh yes, yeah. hello, welcome to the show. There was no like, uh, <laughs> you know, empty offices and like, where do I go and different vibe. Yeah. I guess. yeah. No, I mean, even before we got to the office, even before our first oh. day, you know, uh, Judd Apatow and and Paul Feig had given us all uh, like questionnaires 
to um, with questions about our high school experiences because they wanted to, you know, generate material for the show. And they really wanted that to come from the writers. They wanted that to be, you know, stuff that was based on our personal experiences. And when we came together in person to start bouncing ideas around, you know, that was incredibly helpful to have kind of, you know, um, uh, already laid the, the, the groundwork, you know, so, cause it got us thinking about those ideas. And then when we were in the room together, we would just, uh, talk very openly about all of these like humiliating experiences that we'd had <laughs> growing up. And it was almost like a group therapy session at times. <laughs> right. Um, but they were, they were, uh, John and Paul were great, uh, showrunners, you know, they, they really understood just how to collaborate, you know, and how to get everybody to feel comfortable and open enough to, uh, to just come up, to just be creative. Right. Right. And, uh, I'm sure you saw that cast interacted with that cast a bit more than, uh, much more than, than mm-hmm. martial law. Yeah. Because they wanted us to be, they wanted us to be on set for our episodes and produce our episodes. Um, you know, and, and getting to know the cast and, and seeing them in action, you know, it, it, uh, it, it actually informed the writing, you know, because we could see the way, what was working, what wasn't working. And we could get to know the actors, real personalities, which then informed how we wrote their characters. Right. And you probably toward the end, there saw a little bit of, you know, network politics in terms of what happens to a great show that. You know, that show was famously just on the bubble and just like, is it coming <sighs> back? Is it bubble. not? I mean, that was, you know, a big mm-hmm. part of that show's history, certainly. So Judd gave you some advice about a job offer that came your way for friends, I guess. This is uh, around 2000 or so. It was, uh, yeah, it was 2000, spring of 2000. And uh, he was he was kind enough to, um, you know, put in a good word for me when they were when they when the friends people were uh you know inquiring about me not a bad and, not a bad not a bad call to get by you must have been like uh this is you know 2000 yeah. the biggest show in the country at this point what was that experience like to you know kind of like have that call come in or the from your agent i mean it was surreal you know i mean this was i had only been writing in television for two years before i got that call and right. um and again i wasn't a comedy writer did not consider myself to be a joke writer at all but Freaks and Geeks had some comedic elements and it was a cult favorite among TV writers and the Friends writers apparently loved the show. Um, and, you know, so it was surreal, but it was also like terrifying to get that phone call. <laughs> yeah, it's I like, what so. I, you know, like it, it's so much pressure. Like this show is a juggernaut and I yeah. hardly have any experience and I definitely don't think of myself as being funny. And so... Um, yeah, it that was a it was it was really it that was probably one of the most um stressful <laughs> years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're at the, at the the epicenter of pop culture for sure. I mean, that would is inarguable to to say that for sure, but uh, you know, your experience was definitely, you know, it was it was a lot. Yeah, I mean, I you know, there because that show was so huge, um the pressure was was enormous you know there there was a lot of pressure on it it's not like a new show that hasn't been established yet you know so there was just always this sense of everything is so important and dire and life or death you know even though really it's just a tv show 
But but there was that always that sense of like, it's so important that we have to devote every morsel of our beings to mm. this show. That's yeah. how important it is, you know? And um, and that's kind of like every show, almost almost every show I worked on took itself very seriously. Sure, no, exactly. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And, and look, people who work in entertainment are passionate about what they do. You know, yeah. I mean, artists are passionate about what they do. But I really wanted to, um, I didn't want that to take over my life in a way that where I was sacrificing my my mental health and mm. my relationships, you know what I mean? And so um, it was just really rough to be, to work in, and I'm not singling out friends in this way, but like, you know, sure. pretty much every job was like, you have to just, just, uh, give up your entire life for the for the job that can do a, a lot of damage to your mental health you know yeah but you don't get told going into it per se you just had no. a passion for television for writing and you know exactly. that was where it came from but the reality of it can be and you know and some people thrive on it and it is, but it's also a lot of looking at it with your own point of your own context of like it's just not something that i you know that, that is taking a toll on me yeah, I mean, I was going full steam for a few years and and just completely burning out. And mm. and then finally, um, I was uh, having dinner with my agent and he wanted to talk about the next staffing season, you know, talking about like what what jobs were out there. And and I was just losing my I was losing my shit. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> I can't think about this. I you know, he could see how um burnt out I was in every way. And he actually suggested to me, you know, do you want to take a sabbatical? Just mm -hmm. take some time off, take a, take a year off or something. And I, um, didn't, I didn't think that was possible. I didn't know anybody who did that. I yeah. mean, obviously writers are out of work a lot, but well, that's right, not by, voluntarily. Not, right. Not by choice. Right, <laughs> not exactly. by choice. Yeah. You know, it's very rare that somebody whose career is chugging along takes a step back and says, you know, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say no to jobs right now and, you know, take care of myself. It was a very radical thing to do in my mind, especially coming from the background that I had, you know, parent, immigrant parents who worked really hard and you know, my dad like moonlighted as a newspaper delivery person while he was working, you know, as medical exam in the medical examiner's office as a toxicologist, like he had a PhD wow. and he was, and he was delivering papers to make extra money. This is the family that I came from. Right. So for me to say, I'm going to step away from this career that's going well and just take some time to take care of myself and, uh, you know, learn how to meditate like that just you know was like yeah. insane it seemed insane to most people yeah well been you know, over 10 years or about 10 years at that point so you certainly give that a variety of experiences it wasn't just mm -hmm. like oh it was one bad sh show that didn't work no. out it's like maybe this lifestyle or this life isn't for me in, in that sense yeah i had i'd had so many experiences that were kind of the same story you know um you go in there, you, you, you know, you try your best, you uh, put your, your all into writing these scripts and then they get, you know, thrown out and you have to rewrite a, a whole script in a day, or, you know, your boss rewrites the whole thing and doesn't like consult with you at all, or tell you, or even tell you why they're rewriting it, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and, and I mean, or like, 
things being so disorganized that you end up everybody writes a, a you know um by committee it's called a gangbang i don't know if you've heard that that's the uh, industry jargon for it it's disturbing when you go into television writing you don't ever imagine that that's how the scripts are going to be written yeah and um and i don't think anybody is really doing their best work in that kind of uh situation so it was like stuff like that, experiences like that over and over in so many different jobs. I mean, I had so many similar stories like this that I had to cut out a bunch of them from the book because it was too repetitive. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so, so wow. you know what I mean? Like it's so it was just like over and over. It was like a death by death by a thousand cuts is how I like to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. I it just it's experience over time. And it's like, you know what, a certain losing the football at some point. Yeah, I have a choice here, and I don't know. How, you know, as, as as much as people would be like, "What you left a career as a you know writing on these shows that everybody's heard of?" It's just, and for you, it just wasn't. That's not for what you uh, what you had in mind there. So, so once you left, what was that? You know, that first year or two uh, being outside of the business like for you? I was very happy to to be um, out of it, um, because. I, I mean, I had been longing to leave for such a long time. And then to be able to have the, my, you know, my freedom again, to have a life again was um, fantastic. But I mean, I, I, you know, it's not like I walked away and everything was cupcakes and rainbows, you know, because I had a lot of baggage and trauma to deal with after I left. Um, just kind of trying to make sense of everything that I had gone through as a television writer. And that's, that was part of the motivation for writing the book is that I was trying to make sense of it for myself. I mean, that's as a writer, that's always what I've done, right. Is I've processed my experiences through writing. And so I started to do that after I left because I just needed to make sense of it and work through it. Because if I was ever going to enjoy writing again, I was going to have to face all that stuff. It was almost like I didn't know if I could keep writing. I didn't know if I could write again, you know, that I, my, my, um, that spirit had been so, uh, you know, uh, dampened. And, uh, and so I had to, I had to work really hard to get to a place where I could write and feel good about it again and enjoy it, have any sort of fun doing it. Um, and it was just a lot of, um, self-therapy and regular therapy and, um, you know, to, to get to the point where I could write and not constantly be, um, just weighed down by the baggage of like, oh, I'm not good at this, uh, you know, or nobody wants to read this or, um, you know, you're a hack. Like, I mean, it's just like the, these, <laughs> it's, tough, it's a tough place to live for, you know, yeah. mental in a mental space that way. Yeah. For a long period yeah. of time. Sure. I mean, you have plenty of writer friends. What was the reaction from close writers that you knew? I don't think I don't think there was a single TV writer friend that didn't understand mm. why I left. They all knew why I left. I mean, they they go through it themselves, right? They mm. um and 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 the ones that I've stayed in touch with, you know, they've been really really supportive and that, you know, I'm I'm so grateful for that. But yeah, I think that um there it was almost like, wow, I wish I could do that too. That's such a pervasive mindset for so many professions, but mm -hmm. particularly creative mm -hmm. ones. Exactly. Yeah. Which is crazy, right? I mean, we wouldn't ask anybody else to work for free, you know, or not for free, but, you know, for uh, not a lot 
um, in some cases and um, but but sacrifice so much of the, themselves and their lives for it. It's just that that people have this, um, you know, myth that artists are should should just work for the love of it. And that's just not it's not true. You know, I'll wrap it up here with the, you know, the, the, the strike the strikes we're in right now and a hot topic. Your name is you wrote some scripts for very popular shows that are still out in streaming and still being sold internationally. Do you get any residual checks here in 2023 for your writing? I, I do. But um, the 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 weird thing is that I feel like um, just, and this is just anecdotal because yeah, I don't no, have no. any I don't have any numbers. Right. I don't have any data. But anecdotally, I feel like more and more people are seeing the the shows that I wrote because I hear from people like, oh, I saw your I saw oh, your really? Breaking Bad or I saw your friends or, you know, I mean, I constantly hear that from people because it's available on these streaming formats. So more and more eyeballs are seeing my work, but I'm getting paid fewer and fewer residuals. You know, the residual checks are are really much smaller than they used to be. So that's my anecdotal kind of, um, you know, uh, validation of what's really what's been going on in the business of, you know, residuals being totally fucked yeah. um, in the streaming era. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, Patty, thanks for joining us. The The book again is called End Credits, How I Broke Up with Hollywood, which you can uh, buy at your favorite book purchasing source. Uh, your tales from... Top to bottom here. Uh, highly recommend checking that out. Really appreciate your time and joining us today, Patty. Thank you. It's really fun talking to you. Great. Uh, Elaine, we'll wrap things out here today. Uh, you going to see Equalizer 3 or are we, uh, we all done for the movie th movie theater for the season? <laughs> Is that what's coming out on Labor Day weekend? Oh, God, boy. I, all right. I think I, I have my yeah. answer. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, I hate these pop quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> what's in theaters right now that's not barely yes. a pop quiz all right well anyway your information sean well, I, I told richard i tell him we're, we're coming our, we're doing our uh, our recap of our our predictions here so all of our expertise will be put into a, the examination table here uh for some movie seasons anyway uh of course uh lance you'll be back out in la uh guess monday or tuesday next i week? will yes uh i don't believe well, there monday, are probably not. on tuesday definitely not monday on labor day okay. uh but I, I'm very curious to hear from folks, not just on the picket lines, but if anybody wants to talk to me, I'm at Elaine at the angler.com. We've been getting a lot of reader mail from everyone across the industry, managers, production assistants, development executives, all sorts of folks um, telling me how they picture the rest of their year going. And, and let me tell you, it's pretty grim across the board. Some huh. of the things that people have been hearing, some of the things that they've been doing, you know, weddings that have been delayed. Yeah, the wow. kind of yeah. side jobs that people have had to take, um, you know, and and just overall um, dispiritedness about uh, how their careers are going to go because of how many months uh, their work has been impacted um, by the the current conflict. So, um, very interested to hear from more people about how they think things might pick back up again after the strike. Um, and so, yeah, feel free to email guys. Uh, and you are, of course, Elaine at TheAngler.com and on right. Twitter at Elaine Lowe, correct? Yep, that's me. Uh, and you all enjoy your last uh, summer weekend of summer. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.